0: Good evening. good evening. I got so wrapped up in the video, I forgot. <laughs> it's good to see each and every one of you this evening. If you join with me in a prayer, Heavenly Father, we do now come to you this evening. We pray and ask Holy Spirit that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive Your Word, grant me the grace to not misspeak it, and then that as we might be able to go out and live it. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So it's uh, Monday, Thursday. Good question. Why do we call it Monday Thursday? We call it Monday. we really don't know. We don't know why we call it Monday Thursday. There's a couple of reasons why it's called Monday Thursday. Uh, the best reason is, is that in John chapter 13, 34, Jesus gives his disciples a new commandment. He says, this new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Well, now, I've had two years of Latin, and in the Latin, my Latin's a little rusty. But in the Latin, the word, Latin word for command is mandatum. So you get that, mand, okay? Another possible reason uh, that we call it Monday Thursday is that in the early church, the Christians on this night or this day, they would take uh, food to those who were in need. And the baskets that they took the food, that the food was in, were called mons. So it, take your pick. It's Thursday of Holy Week. It's been a busy week. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to the cries of the crowd, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then he went out and then came back on Monday. He cursed the fig tree and then he went into the temple and cleared the temple of the money changers. And then he went out and then he came back in on Tuesday. It was more teaching in the temple. Tuesday afternoon we find him out on the Mount of Olives teaching. Wednesday... Not a whole lot of information about Wednesday. Most likely it was a day of rest, which Pastor Tim (laughs) would have enjoyed. A day of rest uh, and some teaching again in the temple. So then now that brings us to Thursday. And so what we're going to do tonight is that we're just going to simply work our way through the events of Thursday and the events of Thursday evening. And in so doing, what we're going to find and what we're going to see is the patient love of Jesus Christ. The patient love of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness for those who are around him. There's plenty of opportunities for him to lose his patience, especially with Peter and his interactions with Peter tonight. Quai, are you a patient person? Do you have patience? Do Do you ever lose your patience? I gotta tell you something. Usually, and Pastor Tim can attest to this, usually when we put together a message, we're always looking for illustrations. We're always looking for some way to tie illustrations into the message. And usually when I'm preparing for a message, my prayer is something like, Lord help me. <laughs> I need help, Lord. Give me an illustration. Sometimes he gives it to me real quick. Sometimes not. This week I've been racking my brains for an illustration on impatience. Susan is constantly telling me that I can be impatient. I don't see it. But she tells me that I can't be. So I'm like, all week long, I'm becoming impatient with God. I'm like, God, where's my illustration? So we leave the house this afternoon to come up here to do this, to give you this message. And I turn onto 19 Mile Road. And we get to the light. The light turns red. I'm the second one in line. Make it a left-hand turn. This is the worst situation for a patient person to be in. light turns green arrow for the person in front of you and what do they do? they sit they just sit there don't know what they're doing so what does Mr. Patient do? starts laying on the horn I make the left hand turn, I'm driving up Hayes and the thought comes to me, there it is there's your illustration Craig so tonight, as we go through these interactions that Jesus has, uh, with his, with, especially with Peter, and by extension, the other disciples and people who he comes, con- comes in contact with, we are going to see that his patience comes through, his patient love for them and for you and for me. Peter, Peter's probably, well, he is, he's the most outspoken disciple of all the twelve. And what he says and what he does has been constantly getting him into trouble over the last three years. And that night, that day and night, is no different. And we're going to kind of walk through Luke. We're going to pull in Matthew and John and some other uh, passages. So it comes time to celebrate the Passover meal. And we read in Luke chapter 22, 7, that the day uh, came of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed. And so Jesus sends Peter and John into Jerusalem and says, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they ask, where will you have us prepare it? Just to kind of give you um, the cliff notes on the Passover meal. To give you some, remind you of what is going on here. Why are they having a Passover meal? What is the Passover? If you will remember the children of Israel, and you'd have to go back into Genesis and Exodus to understand it and read the whole story but the children of Israel wound up in Egypt and over time Pharaoh, the rulers of Egypt um, enslaved the people turned them into slaves and so God sent Moses to Pharaoh and told Pharaoh to let his people go and Pharaoh would say no God said alright God would send a plague Pharaoh would recant. He said, all right, I'll let him go. But then as soon as the effects of the plague wore off, he would change his mind. This went on a number of times. And then finally, God said to Moses, okay, look, what's going to happen is I'm going to pass over the land of Egypt and the first thing of, firstborn of all things are going to die, be killed. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to my people, the Israelites, the Jews, and I want you to tell them to prepare a meal. I want you to tell them to sacrifice the butcher a lamb and prepare the lamb a certain way and then take the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorposts. And when I pass over Egypt, I will pass over those homes that have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And so God commanded his people for generations to come to celebrate this Passover meal. And that's what they are doing here on this Thursday night. Jesus sends them into Jerusalem and then tells them exactly what's going to happen. You're going to run into a guy carrying some water, and it's all set up for you. In the disciples, you can see Jesus patiently explaining to the disciples exactly what's going to happen. I think that what we can take away from this particular instance in this interaction is that Christ knows exactly our needs. We can see that God, Jesus Christ, is completely in control. And that he knows everything that's going to happen to us and for us in the future. And he's going to take care of us. and He's going to watch over us. Because you know who else was there that night? Other than the disciples in the upper room? You. Me. We are there in that upper room because everything that Jesus is doing on this Thursday and tomorrow Good Friday, he is doing for you and all of the things that he's going through. So then we come to the meal itself. And we come to the meal, and we begin the meal, and there Jesus Christ begins to wash his disciples' feet. And as he takes off his outer garment, he puts on and takes a bowl and a basin of water and begins to wash his disciples' feet. He comes to Peter, and Peter says what? He says, never, you're not gonna wash my feet. But Jesus says, if you I don't wash you, then you will not be clean. Now you gotta love Peter. Because Peter thinks he knows better than Jesus. (laughs) Peter goes the other extreme. He says, Well, if a little is gonna do that, then a lot must be better. (laughs) And he says what? He says, Wash my head and my hands. You gotta love Peter. He knows best. I think that as we go through all of these situations that we're looking at tonight, I think that we would all like to think that we're different than Peter. I think we'd all like to think that we're different than Peter or those who Jesus is coming in contact with. When Peter refuses to let Jesus wash his feet, what he's doing is he's actually rejecting a gift. He's actually rejecting a gift of God. The question for us to search ourselves with tonight is has have we ever rejected a gift of God? Do you know and you understand that the faith that you have in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is a gift. It's a gift of grace. That Jesus Christ came to us, found us where we were at, lost and condemned, and reached us through the gospel and brought us to faith. We do not reach out and grab God. He comes to us and grabs us and gets a hold of us, and he brings us to faith. That is a gift. Have we ever lived our lives in rejection of that gift? Have we ever lived our lives in a way That is not a person of faith should be living. How about the thoughts that we have? How about the words that we speak to others, the way that we treat others? Have we ever, perhaps our devotional life is not what it should be. We pray, thy will be done, but we really mean our will be done. Have we ever rejected a gift of God? Jesus, by washing his disciples' feet, he's showing them an example of humility by washing them clean. And in this instance, what we can understand is that for us, Christ washes us clean through faith in him as our Lord and Savior and grants us forgiveness. That we may participate with him in his sacrifice and have the resurrection of life on that day that he steps foot on this earth. So they are having this dinner. He washes the disciples' feet. Peter says, no, you don't know what you're doing. I would like to have more. And then what happens is he institutes what we call the Lord's Supper during the meal. And we read about that in Matthew 26, 26 through 28, where Jesus says, take drink. This is my blood of the new covenant given and shed for you Take." It. Eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Now you have to understand something. The disciples thought, they've had, they've had a Passover meal with Jesus in the past. Over the three years of his ministry with them, he's, they've had this, other, this Passover meal. And tonight, it didn't turn out the way that they thought it was going to. Because you have to understand that in the Passover meal, there are certain things that are done for a reason. The Certain foods that are uh, prepared to be eaten. For example, they would have bitter herbs to remind them of the bitterness of traveling in the desert. And they would have also, there would be three cups of wine that would be used during the meal. And there were sp- specific words that were to be spoken over these cups of wine as they were passed around the table and drank. These three cups of wine represented the promises that God had given to his children that he would bring them out of Egypt. The promises of deliverance, protection, and redemption. There were certain words that were to be spoken. Well, when Jesus goes to, comes to the third cup, which is the cup of redemption, instead of speaking the words that were supposed to be spoken, he says, take and drink. This cup is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. You could just imagine the disciples are sitting there going like, huh? <laughs> What's he doing? The same with the bread. There were, seven layer, there were seven pieces of bread and they were all in a matzah stash and they would say words over them. And he takes the bread and he says, take and eat, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. He's giving himself to them. They're going like, what? (laughs) What is going on? He's showing them love. Now what happens next is really ironic. Because it comes right after Christ gives himself to them. A fight breaks out. A dispute breaks out amongst the disciples as to which was to be regarded as The greatest. This isn't the first time that this has come up. The disciples have been talking about who's going to be the greatest for a while. It first came up when Peter, James, and John are coming down off of a mountain with Jesus at his transfiguration. They had just been on this mountain. They saw Christ transfigured, they saw him in his glory, which was a foreshadowing of his second coming. They're coming down off of the mountain and they start talking to Jesus about who's going to be the greatest in God's kingdom. He could just, Jesus, Jesus in his patient love, just kind of like, you got to be kidding. And then again, as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the last time, if you remember, the mother of James and John does what? She says, I want you to put my boys on the right and the left of you. Matthew is pretty specific because he says that a fight broke out amongst the other ten. They didn't like that. Now, Peter wasn't mentioned specifically, but by extension, he was part of the (laughs) ten. And so now here, on this night, right after Christ has just got done giving himself to them and assuring them of his love, a fight breaks out question for us to ask ourselves tonight is, how often do we let the world's standards decide who is the greatest in God's kingdom? The answer that Jesus gives to his disciples that night is the same answer that he gave to them coming down off of the mountain and earlier, in that if you want to be great in God's kingdom, then you need to be like a child. You need to be totally dependent on the grace of God. God's kingdom is not a visible kingdom it's an invisible kingdom a kingdom of grace and to be great in God's kingdom is to be totally dependent on God and that grace humility it's all about the heart humility is all about the hearts you can't it's not about acting humble it's about being humble in the heart question for us tonight is do we ought do we have we ever let the world's standards of greatness determine how we interact with people? They don't look like us. They don't act like us. They don't dress like us. They don't live in the same kind of housing as we do. They don't drive the same kind of cars we do. Oh, and my job is much more important than what they do in life. What Jesus is saying to his disciples is, and to you and to me, is that we need to check our hearts. We need to change the way that we think. Humility is a characteristic of a Christian that is living in God's kingdom of grace. Jesus once told his disciples, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Again, poor and spitter is not about acting poor. It's about understanding and knowing that that we are in need of salvation, that we're sinners, and that we are in need of salvation, and that salvation can only come from outside of ourselves. We cannot do it. And the only one that can bring us that salvation is Jesus Christ. So he gives them that answer, and he does that lovingly and patiently for the third time. It's like that song says, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, what? Be the servant of all. So then after that, then now, Jesus foretells Peter's denial. And then as he's telling Peter that, he says, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And what does Peter says, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. His reply matches his confident nature. I think, again, we would like to think that we are not like Peter. Paul warned the Corinthians about this. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. Yes, Jesus did tell Peter that he was going to deny him, but he also told Peter That he was going to pray for him, that he had prayed for him, and lovingly so. You and I can take away from this that Jesus Christ right now stands at sits at the right hand of the Father, and there he intercedes for you and for me. Paul writes in Romans 8:34 that Jesus Christ is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Isn't that wonderful? That Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God. Whatever is laying on your heart tonight. Whatever is a burden to your spirit. Whatever it might be. Know and understand that Jesus knows that. He understands it. And right now, he is interceding for you with the Father and praying for you. For all of your cares and all of your troubles. Just as he did for Peter. And that, my friend for you and me, is good news. So after supper now, they left the upper room and they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane being on the Mount of Olives. And it's there that Jesus prays, but Peter does what? (laughs) Peter and the disciples sleep. Peter and the disciples sleep. We see in Matthew 26, 36 through 41 that Jesus takes his disciples... And he tells them to stay here. Then he takes Peter, James, and John a little bit further. He tells them, hey, my soul is heavy. I'm going to go pray. Stay here and watch with me. Pray with me. And then Jesus goes even more, a little bit further to pray. And as he, he prays, Luke tells us that he sweat, the agony that he was in was such that he sweated drops of blood. And Jesus prays. He says that he asks the Father that this cup be taken from him, if it's the Father's will, your will be done. What does that tell us about how we end our prayers? Let thy will be done, O Lord, not my will. So Jesus prays, and he does this. Luke tells us, he does this three times. He comes back, but Matthew, Matthew singles Peter out. And Matthew says, And he comes to Matthew and his disciples and he says, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. So there you have Peter who was the boldest of all of the disciples and he's not even strong enough to stay awake for an hour and pray with Jesus. While Jesus prays, Peter and the rest of the disciples sleep rather than pray. How often have we fallen asleep in our prayer life with Jesus. How long have we, how often have we not come to him? He wants us to come to him. He wants us to come to him with all that we have on our heart, with all that we have in our mind, all of our troubles, and to pray and lay it at his feet. And we know, we understand, that in the Bible, he promises that he's going to hear every one of our prayers. He hears every single one. And he answers every single prayer. But he does it in his time. According to his will. And always out of love for you and me. Sometimes the answers are no, my child. I think our prayers would be a little bit different if we knew what Jesus knew. Sometimes the answers will be, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Sometimes they'll be yes, but not yet. For whatever his will is, for whatever his reason is. I think what we need to do is we need to watch and look for the answers to prayer. We pray, give us this day our daily bread. Every time we eat, prayer is answered. We pray, deliver us from evil. How many times have you been delivered from evil? From something bad happening to you it may, that you may not even know about? I had an incident happen to me yesterday, oddly enough, while I was driving again. <laughs> <laughs> had an incident happen to me yesterday while I was driving. I was driving down Hayes, came to a red light. I'm sitting at the red light, I'm first in line at Hall Road. And I look at my mirror and there's this car creeping up along the side of me. And what he's actually doing is splitting the white line. There's a car next to me. And he's splitting the white line between me and the car next to me. I mean, he's like this close. And I'm watching him in my ear. And he is the epitome of bad. And I'm not, what do they call it, profiling. But he's got the hood on and everything. And he comes up and he's staring at me. Now, I don't know what I did to tick him off, what set him off. But he's, I mean, he pulled up and he's staring at me and he's angry. To the point where I knew I I was in fear. I even had my keypad dialed up on my pad on my car in case I had to call the cops. And then when the light turned green, he went one way, I went the other. But I thought about it the next morning. And the thought came to me. I believe I believe that Jesus changed his heart as to whatever he was planning. I believe the Holy Spirit, my guardian angel, did something to change his mind. We need to watch and look. Where is God answering our prayers? Because he does. He answers each and every single prayer. And so while he was still speaking, here now comes Judas with a crowd of the temple guard, and in the process of arresting Jesus, Peter cuts off Malchus's ear. John gives us more information. John actually is able to tell us that it was Simon Peter who drew the sword, and he knows the servant's name. This tells us that John knew a lot of the people that were there that night. And what does Jesus do? He says, stop, no more of this. And he picks up the ear, and he puts it back on Malchus's head and heals him. It's in there that you and I can know and understand that violence is no way to spread the gospel. Violence is no way to overcome evil. And that in the lesson that we're being taught there is what Christ has taught us, is to love others as he has loved us and to love those who hate us. And so then Peter denies. Jesus is arrested. They send him off to the high priest's house, and it's there that Peter denies Jesus. He denies knowing Jesus three times. But it says that Jesus looked at Peter, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. The fact that Jesus looked at Peter tells us that Jesus sought him out. Jesus actually went looking for Peter. Jesus would not let Peter go. Jesus will not let you go. Jesus is going to hold on to you. And in that look that Peter and Jesus had, Peter was reminded of what Jesus had said. I've prayed for you. Peter knew and understood there was going to be redemption. He knew and understood forgiveness. He went out and wept bitterly, knowing what he had did, but also knowing that he was loved by his Savior and that he was forgiven. Because back in Luke, earlier in the night, when Jesus said that, I, Jesus, that Peter was going to deny him, he also told Peter that when you have come back, you will be of help to your brothers. So now Peter understands, he knows the deep love that Christ has for him, even in this situation. And when you and I, That look should remind you and I of the redemption that is ours in Christ Jesus. We should do the same. Confess our sins and know and understand that Jesus loves us deeply. It's why he went to the cross. It's for the tears of Peter and ours over sin that he died. That's why he instituted Holy Communion. Again, we read in Matthew 26 the institution of supper, take drink, take eat. Jesus left us something in Holy Communion that we're going to celebrate here in just a minute. He left us something here in Holy Communion of himself to communicate with us on every sensory level as human beings. You can see it. You can taste it. You can touch it. And you can hear the words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Because Jesus knows all of the temptations that we're going to face every single day in our life. He knows that the Satan is constantly, every single day, nipping at our heels. And the reason why he's nipping at our heels is because he wants to destroy us. He wants to tear us away from God and get us to throw up our hands and give up on him. And it's for that reason that Jesus instituted this supper. To actually grant us forgiveness of sins and to grant us strength from day to day. If you join with me in prayer, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise this night for all that you have done for us, that through your shed blood on the cross, and through the faith that you have granted us by your grace, that we may have eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.